Hey everyone, it's Evelyn, your host of Now I Get It, today's entertainment business news in five minutes or less. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the SAG strike, a little bit of what it is, but really what led to this moment and what will be the impact on the industry. Stay tuned at the end for my reviews of the Barbenheimer weekend. By the end of this episode, you'll also be able to say, now I get it. So the SAG strike, aka the Screen Actors Guild strike, involving 160,000 working actors in Hollywood. Uh, It's a very US-centric strike right now. It's the SAG union, which are Hollywood actors as we know them, against the AMPTP. I already kind of talked about this in my WGA strike episode, but the AMTPP are the collection of TV networks and film studios, such as Netflix, Warner Brothers, Disney, Universal, Apple TV+, everyone we kind of know and how we consume media. What does the SAG strike mean? The SAG strike means that current actors cannot report to work on set. All production has frozen. Current actors cannot promote their upcoming titles, which means they can't walk red carpets. They can't go to the premieres. They can't go on talk shows to talk about their new movies or TV shows. They can't even go on podcasts to talk about it. They can go on podcasts to talk about their personal lives, but they can't talk about their upcoming title. What actors are allowed to do is they can continue doing brand deals, commercial endorsements. So we might see a big spike in uh, some advertisements of your favorite actors um, when things get a little desperate. What isn't impacted by the SAG strike are reality TV stars and sports, which will be interesting. And I'll get into that later. All right, here we go. What happened and how did we get here? The SAG strike is actually based on two things. The first is money, which is about 75% of the issue. The second is artificial intelligence, which is 25% of the remainder of the issue. Part one, money. Before Netflix came onto the scene, SAG actors made most of their money from residuals. Business lesson time, what are residuals? Residuals are back-end payments. Basically, the money that actors make once some of their movies or TV shows hit syndication, the reruns that we see on TV channels like TBS or TNT or E, they get paid out every time these TV shows and movies run on air outside of when they hit the movie theaters. When Netflix came onto the scene, Netflix strategy said, hey, actors, we'll pay you double upfront what you're used to getting paid, but we will not give you any residuals aka the back-end money, because we're a monthly subscription service, which is detached from measuring how many people are watching your exact programming. Because just because you subscribe to Netflix, Netflix won't tell an actor just how many times someone has watched a rerun of Friends. Does Netflix even care? Not really, right? Netflix only cares about that recurring payment of the monthly Netflix fee. This has worked, honestly, up until now when it hasn't. Netflix has really been the main destroyer of the old Hollywood model. This is an example of when economic behavior is very different than viewer behavior. All right, the second part, artificial intelligence. A typical production for a TV film may have 10 people, 100 people, or 800 background extras. They get paid for being on set that day and any other day in the future when they need background extras. With AI, studios would like to pay a one-time fee to scan someone's features and use them in a background scene forever as many times as they want without paying that actor for future usage. So you can kind of see why it's a little bit controversial um, on the AI side. What's also changed in the last six months that I have to remind you is 
the streaming services, they have a new revenue generator now. There's advertising video on demand, AVOD. So Netflix now has an ad tier, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, and HBO Max, or otherwise known as Max. They all have ad versions of their streaming service, which means they're collecting even more money than they used to. Once again, going back to what the actors are complaining about is, how are you these big fat companies that are making more money than ever and you can't pay us any more money or you can't be open to backend residuals or you are so greedy about how you want to use us with AI in the future? So that's what's going on with the SAG strike. What is its impact on entertainment industry? Well, in the immediate future, summer blockbusters will definitely still launch. It's almost like the train is moving. You can't slow it down. Perhaps earned media, such as PR-placed interviews, magazine articles, photo shoots, will be replaced by paid media. So this means that the movie studios will pay for their trailers and content to be boosted in the digital world. So on websites or on social media or anywhere you consume content digitally. I also believe that movie studios may put movies in the hands of contextual influencers, such as matching a car enthusiast influencer with auto films, such as Gran Turismo, or gaming creators with gaming films or gaming shows. In the streaming world, I don't think too much changes, other than maybe they're also tightening their budget, which might impact the smaller titles, because those smaller titles will get squeezed when the studio is focusing on more talent-driven titles, uh, giving more money to those tet pole launches. Smaller titles will have less money for marketing, which means shorter marketing campaign timeline, which means we might not hear about these smaller titles. This may impact prestige TV titles such as Beef, which don't have a franchise familiarity or built-in audience. And finally, what is the impact of the SAG strike on broadcast, also known as linear TV? Well, I think they are the most screwed. Over the past 10 years, primetime ratings have dropped 50%. Broadcast channels have no content library. They also have no writers right now with the WGA strike, which means the talk shows are dead, as you all know. They'll definitely be pushing their unscripted shows like More Love Island, probably more of those Bravo reality shows. And I think this is a huge opportunity for sports. And I don't just mean a different type of sport. I mean, sports content. So sports talk shows, sports highlight shows. I think they'll be able to repackage any type of content around sports. I also think this is a big opportunity for non-English content, um, such as Korean dramas and telenovelas. Well, since it's Friday, I did want to let you all know my personal reviews are on Barbie and Oppenheimer. So I saw Oppenheimer first and then Barbie second. I was lucky enough to have early access to those screenings. Oppenheimer was great. I'm personally not a Christopher Nolan fangirl. Um, I appreciate the work he's done, but I'm not someone who chases his films just because it's a Nolan film. So I went in pretty neutral. It was a three-hour movie. And honestly, I was hooked and gripped the whole three hours. I didn't even think once about checking my phone. Uh, it's your traditional drama biopic. So it's not too flashy because it can't stray from the main storyline. The cast was incredible. I could not believe what a stacked cast it is, and it didn't feel corny. Because you know how sometimes when there's too many A-list stars in a movie, you feel like it's forced? This did not feel like that. Overall, I would give it a 3.75 out of 5 stars. It was perfectly good. I think it'll definitely get some awards during the Oscar season, but I don't think it's for everyone. Second, Barbie. Oh my goodness, this movie was so delightful, so funny. I was laughing out loud in the theater for half of the movie. I thought it was so smart, such witty writing. And I kind of love the play on woke feminism 
and even making fun of woke feminism. And it was just such a surprise and delight. Uh, my favorite parts were the jokes on the patriarchy. And it felt like a very big joke against Los Angeles, which we all kind of love to see from time and time again. For me, watching Oppenheimer first and Barbie second, I ended up liking Barbie more. I have a colleague who watched Barbie first and Oppenheimer second, and she liked Oppenheimer more. So that's interesting to know about the order of what you watch it in. Hopefully my experience helps you decide what order you want to have your Barbenheimer weekend in. That's it for today's episode, everyone. I hope you learned a little and I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.